Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody? You know, it uh, always makes me laugh that we have a pretty small group, and you guys are just kind of intent on just filling every corner of the church. It'd be great to be able to just kind of, you know, have you all and be able to look into your faces as I preach. It's all good. I'm gonna... Don't worry, I'm not going to force you to do it if you don't want to, Steve. <laughs> I apologize that I couldn't be here last week. Um, my wife and I, we took a, a trip up to Merced to see my awesome nephew graduate, well, or uh, to see him after he graduated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great time. We had a, a nice time. It was um, long trip up there, five hours of driving up and five hours of driving down and rain all the way. But uh, it was a, for Sonny and I, we had a great time just uh, being together, spending time together. So, um, and I hope that you are blessed with Pastor Paul. Uh, I've known Paul for, oh, near around a dozen years, maybe more. And uh, we, we've known each other before I went to Korea, I think, and then um, kind of uh, while I was in Korea in 2006 or seven or something like that, he asked me to come back and uh, preach for his, uh, his youth retreat. Um, and, you know, between then, you know, we, we kind of interacted with um, Arizona Mission and Mexico Mission. We've, we've known each other for, no, I take that back, probably over 20 years. Um, but uh, he is a dear friend of mine, and, uh, and I hope that you guys were as blessed, and I uh, hope that you guys treated him with, um, with just the warmest welcome, that the same kind of welcome that you would extend to me. But, um, yeah, if you have any questions about uh, Pastor Paul or anything like that, let me know. I think the world of him as a friend and as a brother. Now, um, I, I think I gave him the passage to speak on the last section of Romans chapter 8. Is that correct? Who is here? Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Today, I want to um, touch on the pa passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. And the, the title of this message is A Helper for the Weak. A Helper for the Weak. In my many years of ministry and talking to people and uh, serving in the church, you know, um, give you a little secret. Okay. A pastor never really talks to people with just, you know, just random, pointless kind of conversation. The pastor has always has an underlying motive for talking to you. A pastor wants to gauge, when, whenever we talk to each other, we want to gauge in you and with you what, are, what is going on in terms of your relationship with God and your relationship and what's going on 
in your life and in, in the world around you. So um, oftentimes when we ask questions, um, you know, we're just, what's going on and how is this area of your life and how is that area of your life and, and um, how, is, how are you progressing in your walk and things like that. One of the things that we're always looking for is, honestly, as a pastor, always trying to ask in the back of my mind, what is the Holy Spirit doing in this person's life? And so um, that's one of the very important aspects of uh, the conversations that we have as Christians. Um, and the reason that that's so important is because the Holy Spirit is the most important um, person, personality in the life of the church, in the life of every believer. Uh, in this passage of Romans, verses 18 to 25, the Apostle Paul um, talks about the Holy Spirit and the redemption of creation, the Holy Spirit and his role in the redemption of creation. Um, and I'm going to come back to that. But in verses 26 to 30, the Apostle Paul emphasizes the Holy Spirit's ministry of intercession. Now, when we talk, of, again, going back then to verses 18 to 25, when we often talk about redemption, we usually uh, apply the word redemption in terms of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ does in the believer's life. But here, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit and his work and his part in the works of redemption. So um, as we look at this passage, the, um, this is not a uh, clear-cut passage of Scripture. What I want us to see here is the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Every day, every moment. So uh, he begins... First by saying, verse 18, for I consider that the present, or the, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30, and God's people say, Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we know that as long as we live in this world, we are subject in our lives to all the human experiences of all the suffering, the agony, the pain, the struggles that this life 
and this world brings. Father, as we look to Jesus Christ and as we look to your eternal kingdom and that land, that faraway land that you have prepared for us, Lord, in the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, we look toward better things. We are not of the people of the world who are left to their own devices, who do not have the intervention of God on their side, and yet who suffer in this world with no one to help them, with no understanding of hope. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Spirit, you would remind us of who we are in you and that you would bring to the forefront of our hearts and our minds the work that you have accomplished and that you continue to um, accomplish in us for the purpose of your glory being revealed in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. This present time, what does this present time entail? For the Apostle Paul, this present time entails suffering. And this present time basically means this world, this life, this world that we're living in. How many of you can uh, look at your lives or know someone in your life who is suffering? Whether it's suffering with uh, health or whether it's suffering financially or whether it's suffering materially, whether it's suffering um, in, in any form. In this world, we will have suffering. And Jesus promised that in this world, we would, have, we would be filled, experience all kinds of persecutions, we would experience suffering, we would experience uh, hardships in this world. As long as we live in this world, we're subject to the circumstances and the situations that happen in this world. But more than that, what the Apostle Paul is trying to say is we have a greater uh, purpose in the suffering. And the greater purpose is this. He says, uh, all the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us or the glory that will be revealed in us. What he's talking about is the future glory, the future glory that is to be revealed on the day that we meet Jesus Christ. And then he begins to talk about the creation. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then again in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. This word creation, oftentimes when people uh, read this passage, the way that they approach it is to say the creation is talking about everything, the material world around us. 
And so the creation is subject to uh, frustration. Um, some, so there's kind of a scientific approach, right? Uh, the second law of th thermodynamics is what? The law of entropy, thank you, yes. Two major laws of thermodynamics, first two laws. First is energy conservation or the conservation of energy. Second is the, uh, the law of entropy. All the, there is no new energy that is being added or taken away from the universe. And the second law of entropy says that all the energy that is in the universe is breaking down or not break, but becoming useless, more and more useless. So people take this interpretation or this passage to, to say that it is subject to frustration in the sense that everything that is in the material universe is breaking down, is breaking down. And as the result of that, then we suffer as a result of the world around us breaking down. The problem that I have with that interpretation, when we look at the way that the Apostle Paul uses the word creation, oftentimes he uses this not to talk about the material universe, but actually to talk about what? People. People. So, for me, the way that I make sense of this passage is not that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, as if the trees and the earth and the rivers and the forest and the trees and the animals are waiting for the sons of God to finally be revealed. The creation that's waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God is the people that God created. You see, the reason that God redeems people out of this fallen world is for the purpose of communicating the very fact that God has saved me, has redeemed me, brought me out, so that even though I live in this world of suffering, this world of agony, that even though I live in this world where there's so much evil and destruction, and I suffer and I'm a victim of that, I have a greater hope. So I can go to my neighbor and say, I know that you're going through a terrible suffering right now. But if you have Jesus, like I have Jesus, you are without hope. I mean, you don't have to be without hope. Jesus brings hope into our lives. And that's the point of this passage. Think about the people around you, not just that you're suffering, but what about others who are suffering? People who suffer in this world do so without any hope. They had, you know, recently we had another um, attempted mass shooting. Was it last week? Sometime? Sorry, I just uh, heard about it on the news. You know, what's amazing to me is, is like weekly or every other week or month or something like that, there's some sort of, of shooting or, or some terrible, violent, random act of violence that happens. And, you know, when you talk to an unbeliever, you know, people go around saying, oh, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on in the world, you know, and there's so many, you know, I don't know what's, so, what's up with these messed up people. And all they can do is say, well, I hope I'm not the next victim. 
I hope that doesn't happen to me or people around me. And that's all they can do. That's the, that's the extent of their hope is that it's not going to happen to them. But for a believer, it doesn't really matter. What if we become the victims of a mass shooting? What if we, we suffer violence at the hands of evil people? Is that all there is for us? Ah, my hopes are destroyed. No. There's so much more for us. And the point is that in this present time, in this present age, there's suffering. But think beyond the suffering. Think beyond it. Don't think through it, but think above it. What does the Apostle Paul say? Compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us, doesn't compare. Every single person in this world, whether they know it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, they're looking for a greater hope. They want to know a greater hope. They want to know that all the struggles and all the hardships and all the difficulties that they face in this world is going to be worth it. But how do we know that it's going to be worth it? Verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience because we have a greater hope. We have a greater hope. Now, I failed to do the um, proof. Why do I think that the creation here is referring to people? I think that because if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Second Corinthians chapter 5, he uses a very similar uh, phrase, applies it in very similar ways, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians. And he says, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? He is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So there's People who are born into this world, they're part of the creation of God. Everyone is a creation of God. Every human being that is born is, a, is born as a creation of God. But those who are born again, they are a new creation in God, in Christ. And so the creation itself, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, the reason that God leaves so many people to endure hardship and difficulties in this world is that people are meant to look upward, seek upward to Christ in order to seek their help from God. Do you have financial troubles? Do you have troubles with work? Do you have troubles with coworkers? Do you have troubles in your marriages? Do you have trouble with your uh, family members? Every circumstance and every situation in this world causes us to look not at ourselves, not at the circumstances around us, but they exist for the purpose of pointing us to God. 
So the creation itself will be set free, but the longing of the creation is freedom from, of the glory of the children of God. There is no freedom apart from Jesus Christ. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit distinguishes the first creation from those who are the new creation. We ourselves who have the first witness of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Notice that the creation is separated from um, the new creation. How are we separated? We're separated from the adoption as sons. That's what we were made for. That's what we were redeemed for. That's what we are saved for, to be sons of God. How does this happen? How does this happen? It happens through the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verses 26 to 30, the Spirit's ministry of intercession. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. I want to ask a few questions here in this passage. And the first question is, who is this helper? Who is this helper? Notice that there is a personality being attributed to this helper, and the helper is the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing is, the problem is for when I talked about how pastors talk and discuss with people, we try to gauge where people's knowledge and understanding is in terms of um, God. When you talk to a, a many Christians, many evangelical Christians, Oftentimes what happens is that the, the Holy Spirit is often very much missing in our conversations of God. Uh, if he's not missing, then oftentimes the Holy Spirit is talked about as an object, a thing. But the Holy Spirit is a, like the Holy Spirit is an it. And it does this and it does that. But according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit is very much a personality. He's the third person of the divine trinity. He is God in us. And what's amazing about the promise of the Holy Spirit is that we have God who wills for his son to be made flesh, the eternal son of God to be made flesh, the infinite eternal son of God comes down in the earth in the form of flesh 
and he uh, redeems and reconciles man through his blood and through his death and through his resurrection. And then um, God the Father sends his Son. God the Son then sends his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we use faulty language. And one of the faulty languages is Holy Spirit, come to this place. And we sang that in the song earlier. Come and fill this place. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill places. The Holy Spirit fills people. The Holy Spirit, every person who is a believer of Jesus Christ, who has by faith trusted in Jesus, is indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. Oftentimes, in the, uh, even in the Old Testament, this was true. The thing is, in, in the Old Testament, we have a transient Holy Spirit who comes in uh, upon people and then he departs according to whatever the ministry needs were at the time. The Holy Spirit comes upon that person, empowers that person, enables that person, and then he departs again. In the New Testament, what we have is the Holy Spirit comes in and he remains in the life of every believer. And so who is this helper? The helper is the Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? Oftentimes, we have a misconception. Because we have a misconception of, our, of the Holy Spirit or we have a misconceived notion of the Holy Spirit, we tend to think that it is up to us to do everything right in a way that it will please God. Right? You ever feel like there's so much pressure on you. And for so many of us, because of the pressure that we place upon ourselves, we become very discouraged in our faith. And that sense of discouragement prevents us from growing. It, sent, it prevents us from uh, deepening our walk and depending on God because we tend to think of the Holy Spirit as just someone who, or a thing, who helps me to be a better person. Um, well, the most important thing that we need to know about the Holy Spirit is that he is holy. And the other most important thing that we need to know about the Holy Spirit is that he is eternally God, omnipotent, eternal God. Whom does he help, though? Whom does he help? Again, verse um, 18. Notice that he helps those who are suffering. He helps those who are suffering. And again, as we noticed, um, there's the juxtaposition of the suffering of this present time with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in us. There. Therefore, we need to understand that the creation longingly anticipates that day, the day of the glory of the children of God, waiting for it for that day of adoption. Why is this so important to understand that we are adopted children of God? Isn't it interesting that um, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul began this chapter by saying there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because there's no basis of accusation. Holy Spirit, uh, the name for the Holy Spirit, or um, Jesus talked about it in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, he talks about how he will send a helper. And uh, you guys will uh, have a chance to discuss chapter 16, verses 1 through uh, 11 later. But there the word, the name of the Holy Spirit is, uh, we use the word paraclete. He is the paraclete. It comes from the Greek word parakletos. The Holy Spirit is the parakletos. Parakletos is the prefix para, which means beside, and kletos, which is, comes from the, the verb klesis or um, call, kaleo. I call. Um, and the idea is the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to stand beside. And his work of standing beside our every believer means that he is there to uh, help us. So he is called the helper. Some translations call him uh, the comforter. But the best way to translate uh, parakletos or paraclete is advocate. This word advocate actually comes from the Greek language. It's very commonly used of a lawyer, a very highly capable defense lawyer, one who advocates for the defense. And this is the Holy Spirit. The main work of the Holy Spirit is that he comes and he helps us by advocating on our behalf. And by contrast, isn't it interesting that by contrast, Satan's name is what? The accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. In um, Revelation 12.10, it says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Because we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we have no basis of standing before God with accusations. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us. He advocates for us. But more than that, because he is our advocate standing on behalf of us and God, verse 28 is the benefit of that. Verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What this passage doesn't say is, you know, if you're really devoted to God and if you try your best and you just try to be a very obedient person, then you can be a son of God. What it doesn't say is, you know, if you build up enough merits, get enough brownie points, 
you know, and try to get God to notice of what a good kid you are, then you'll be a son of God. No. Quite simply, the Holy Spirit works all things for the good of those who love God. He works it. What's he talking about? So does that mean if I have the Holy Spirit in my life, then that mean, does that mean I'm not going to have any financial troubles? Doesn't the Bible say he works all things together for the good of those who love God? Does that mean then if I have the Holy Spirit in me, then I'm not going to have any marriage troubles? I'm not going to have any, uh, um, there's never going to be a time when I'm going to, you know, struggle to find work? Is that what it means? All things work together for the good of those who love God, and yet we suffer. And the passage is set in the context of, of living in this present time in this suffering world. All things work together for those who love God, because why? Because we are not living for this present time. Because we're not living for this present age. We're not living for these finite experiences. What we are living for is the glory that is to be revealed in us as the true sons of God. And that, that is the promise. That we are never alone. You know, it's interesting that um, as I've studied the scriptures, in my life, uh, personally speaking, I've known hardships, I've known suffering, I've known struggles. Many of you have heard my stories and I don't need to repeat them over again. But the difference when I came to know Jesus Christ, it wasn't so much the circumstances that changed. You know what did change? was my outlook, my outlook. Because I began to see my circumstances not through human eyes, not through human circumstances of what's going on in this world and, and you know, my hope is, is that things and circumstances in this world are gonna go right for me. That's not my hope. My hope is that someday I will stand together reunited with God. And if I have to suffer, no matter how many steps in this world that I have to take in order to suffer and struggle through that, I know that I have a God who walks with me. I know that I'm not abandoned. I know that I'm not alone. I know that I'm not left to myself. But God gives me his Holy Spirit who stands with me as an advocate who strengthens me, who enables me, who walks with me, who guides me, who comforts me, who helps me through every difficulty. And if I know that, and if I trust in that, if I believe in that, it doesn't matter. Because my focus is not on the suffering and the struggles. My focus is on the Holy Spirit. And because my eyes and my focus is on the Holy Spirit, all things work together for good. Because it is he who works them in me. 
the only way that we can uh, enjoy this, enjoy this presence, well, this outflow, outworking of the Holy Spirit, is for us to realize who we are as the sons of God. Last time I, I preached, I talked about how um, this idea of being a son of God is, uh, is juxtaposed against the idea that unbelievers are sons of the devil. Correct? That's what the Bible says. Some people don't like to hear that, but the truth is those who don't believe in God are the sons of the devil. But those who believe, they've been redeemed. And those who have been redeemed are now sons of God. We are sons of God by adoption. Jesus is the son of God by nature. For we, all of us, whether you're a man or a woman, you're a son of God by adoption. Um, I, I'm not sure if I talk, talked or mentioned it the last time, but the reason, the reason that the Bible doesn't call women daughters of God is because it's the culture of the Greek uh, world. In the culture of the Greek world, a slave could be adopted by his slave owner. If a slave was very much, uh, very much devoted to his master and, and he had served his time and, uh, and he was to be released, the slave um, could, could devote himself to his master and the master would put a, put a mark on him and he would continue to serve forever as his slave for the rest of his life. But in very unique cases, a master would say, no, I love you as my own brother, my own sister. I love you as part of my family. I'm going to adopt you. So that slave then receives all the benefits of a child of the uh, slave owner. No longer is he a slave, but he is a, a son. The reason that's so important is because a daughter didn't receive the benefits of inheritance. The benefits of the inheritance went to the firstborn son. And as the firstborn son, we are recognized by God. And that's the purpose of adoption is that it, it puts us in that same position to say we are recognized by God as a firstborn son. And as the firstborn son adopted by God, we receive all the benefits of a son. We're no longer held in bondage to the devil. Let me stop here. Um, because I think uh, the discussion that I have um, in mind will, will be a benefit to all of you guys. And I hope that um, that you guys will have a good discussion and prayer over it. <clears throat> so let me stop and um, end with a benediction from Romans chapter 8. Verses 38 and 39, which is another beautiful promise for all of us. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sons, daughters, sons of God. Because we are in the Holy Spirit, because we are in Christ, because there is no condemnation, because there is no separation, we are more than conquerors. So I pray that as we go here from this place, that you go in the love of God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for the promise that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for the presence of your spirit dwelling in us. God, I pray that his testimony in us would exude a testimony of Christ in the world, that all those you have created in this world will know that there is a greater hope in Christ and because we have received this gift of adoption as sons. God, I pray that we would be those who call men out of this world to receive this hope that we have. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.